Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. It's the podcast. What antiques are we talking about this week? I was inspired by a question asked on the Facebook group by Kaz about antique fur coats. Hell yes. Let's get controversial. I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance if you're like a hardcore animal rights activist or vegan. If you're vegan, stop listening. If you're vegan, I respect you. I respect your lifestyle choice, but please consider our way of thinking. We're going to give a fair crack at changing your mind. And keep in mind this entire time we will be talking about vintage and antique fur only. Yes. These animals would be dead anyway by now. Yeah. To front load it, I think that the modern fur industry is vile. No, it's wretched. I would never buy a newly made fur. Absolutely not. But vintage and antique furs are a casualty of history. They exist. And let's talk about them. Fur has been used for clothing since humans figured out how to peel things. It's true. Fun side note, I didn't realize that there was a Portuguese word for skin and I've been using the word for peel my whole life. (laughs) Have you really? I I have been saying gosh. Have you been talking about peeling the Christmas turkey? Yes. To get all that Yeah, well, we're moving the the turkey's peel, saying (laughs) I think I have to see this doctor about this weird thing with my peel. (laughs) I have used it across the board. Incredible. Fur is beloved by people because it is a very warm material. Perhaps not the warmest material, but extremely warm. All natural, insulating, and moisture wicking. And it can last a really long time if you take care of it. In addition, the association of fine furs and fur as fashion with royalty and the upper class, fur has taken its place as a fashion icon and an heirloom for families due to its timeless aesthetics and long wearing nature. It's super common for people to come to you saying, my grandma left me like three fur coats. And dear God, what do I do with them? Because I don't want people splashing red paint on me in the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you live in a large city, be careful where you go. (laughs) If there's a PETA sign, don't keep going that way if you're wearing fur. Even if you're wearing fake fur, because they usually can't tell the difference. Some terms that you might want to know when you're talking about fur and a fur coat undercoat, which is the thicker hair near the skin of the animal, the guard hairs, the shiny hair that lays over the undercoat, pile is the direction of the hair growth, which can also refer to the length of the hair, and the term pelt, literally the skin of the animal, which is generally sewn onto a lining to create a garment. And that undercoat is part of why it works so well as an insulating material. Precisely so. And the undercoat can be why many different types of fur are particularly water resistant. There's a very good reason seal fur was one of the most beloved furs in the fur trade. The first thing I want to knock out is the question, which is, is vintage fur toxic from the tanning and dyeing process? I'm going to take a bold and unusual for me stance and say no. Yes. The research I have found suggests, depending on how old it is, those chemicals have long stopped being volatile and inhalable. And most of them are not particulate form the way you might see an asbestos. So a vintage and antique fur is safe on the chemical front. The mercury in your antique clock, on the other hand, watch out. I am not confident saying that about a modern, a contemporary fur. Yeah, I don't know that the standards have held up or that anything's had time enough to evaporate. Yeah, so that that is one of the many problems being talked about, like contemporary furs. I would reconsider that vintage fur has had a lot of time to mellow. The chemicals are no longer present. So rest assured, if you want to sew these into cat beds, that's a fantastic idea. Super cute. Oh my god, the pictures of your cats are adorable, Cass. (laughs) (laughs) So another question. Ken, is it ethical to wear vintage fur? Yes. Done. This is going to be the thing that will plague you. No, (laughs) I'm done. I've, I've decided already. Yes, it's fine. Go forth. Be free. 
Okay, so like full disclosure, D is the token city slicker, I am the token country mouse. So I've known where my food comes from since I was a wee lad, and I am perhaps more desensitized to the realities of that than most people. (laughs) So like, my personal deeply controversial stance is if the animal's suffering was minimized and the animal's carcass has been used to the fullest extent, we're good. Because more animals will die if we replace all of these with plastic, but that's just me. My number one problem with faux fur and fur replacements is largely that I don't agree with microplastics being manufactured on a massive scale. Every time you wash it, plastic winds up in the ocean and the ocean hates that and so do all the fish live there. So you're killing more animals that way anyway than you would be by killing one animal against fur. The chemicals used for tanning are largely not long lasting. Many of them are vegetable based to begin with and decay pretty agree with the earth. You'll actually see the word biodegradable come up a lot when you're looking into fur coats, which is one of their highlights. Because they're all natural. (laughs) Don't we love that? All natural materials, all natural fibers. The one thing that I keep getting hung up on is that when you're wearing a vintage fur, people don't know it's vintage. If you're super hot, and you are, you might inadvintage- (sighs) Inadvintagely. I got that. I got that long COVID. You might inadvertently- (laughs) might inadvertently create a demand for fur by looking so hot in your fur. I would say that industrialized fur farming, while deplorable, is overall less environmentally harmful than acrylic fur. And more animals will be saved by not having their environment polluted than would be saved if you shut down the fur farm. And I hate that it's come to this, but it really is the fucking trolley problem of animal rights. Like... How many animals do you want to save? If it's purely a numbers game, you need to shut down the manufacture of fake fur. I would also add, um, I don't know if the people who ask this or are concerned about this have spent a lot of time looking at these items. I can always tell a vintage from a contemporary, the cut, the type of fur used. There is such a marked difference in the aesthetic. And this even goes for, I've seen coats that have been cut into more modern shapes. I feel like I am like nine out of 10 correct. I think the appearance is very different. I think it would be very strange for someone to get those things mixed up. I think when you wear a vintage fur, you look like you're wearing vintage. I would also say I make a distinction between fur of farmable and plentiful animals versus fur of endangered animals. I don't know that I'm cool with a snow leopard coat outside of a museum context. Hey, that's that's another uh, interesting thing that I wanted to talk about, which is you gotta be really wary of what the species of coat it is, especially if you are, the more vintage and antique you're going, the more you might run into this problem. It's our dead birds on hats issue, where is wearing this coat out going to A, spark a demand for an endangered species, and B, get fish and game on your ass. Yeah. The big questions to ask are, is this fur from a bear? Absolutely not. A primate? Any big cat species? There are some exceptions, but I don't consider it a sure thing enough that I feel comfortable with it. And seals. There are a lot of bylaws for indigenous groups 
that hunt seals regularly as a part of their survival and for crafting. Yes, because shock of shocks, you can't grow a whole lot of fucking carrots in the Arctic Circle. Yeah. Sorry. When people <laughs> go after indigenous people living in their environment the way they have lived for centuries and surviving just fine and say, no, you have to stop doing all of this. You have to go to our fucking state schools and you have to buy our state food at extreme markups that we've used so much carbon to ship up to you from the places it's grown in because it doesn't fucking grow here and cannot grow here and will never grow here. And you would be getting so many more valuable nutrients if you just killed an native seal, but we can't let you do that because seals are people too. Yeah, precisely. Again, you will save more seals by not shipping food that doesn't belong to places it doesn't belong. But sure. Yeah, if you're if you want to deal with seal pelts, come correct. Basically, if you're not a member of an indigenous group to whom the hunting of seals is or has been of import, you probably might just want to like check out of this one. You need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> if a kid in a canoe armed with a hand-hewn spear can take out a fucking whale, he deserves that whale. And frankly, none of you get to say shit because that whale will feed his village for an entire fucking year and fuck you. Yeah. Also, like, give these people some credit. They know that they can't kill them to extinction and they've been doing a better job of it than we have for a very long time. It's almost as though the problem isn't hunting, but industrialization. <laughs> I literally have a note here that says underneath is ethical to wear fur that just says, let Ken take this one. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even, like, he knows. He's got a whole <laughs> Oh man, I cannot wait for our podcast to get cancelled. It's not gonna happen. I, I won't let it happen. <laughs> Again, animal suffering sucks, yes, but we're gonna have to trolley problem this one, and the animals will suffer less on an individual basis than on a global extinction basis if we stop doing the plastic thing. Am I right? Okay. Yes, I'm right. Anyway. Yeah, it surprises a lot of people that furs and fur coats and fur garments and accessories are all extremely liable under the same sites laws that taxidermy and other animal parts are. Because, hey, it's still a dead animal. Yeah, it's still very technically difficult to say with a straight face that that thing was killed in the 1850s and not yesterday. Like I was saying with the big cat species, it is actually legal to hunt and I would say farm. I don't know that anyone's done it successfully, but lynxes and bobcats because they are a least concern large cat species. I don't think they should be least concern. I, yeah. I think maybe we should just say <laughs> no cats, but that's just me because we don't have a lot of these left <laughs> and the coyotes have taken most of their territory. Yeah. Coyote coats, on the other hand. We've got plenty of coyotes. Yeah. If you want a coyote for a coat, not only will you be fashion forward, <laughs> but there are plenty of farmers who will help you out in getting it. <laughs> Legally speaking as well, there are a lot of interstate laws governing certain big cats because that least concern status is not across the board for the country. No. U.S. big and animal populations have different needs in different areas. So for me, I wouldn't bother. That's an awful lot of like legal red tape to be crossing to kill a cat. So if you got a vintage one, I, I would really cross the T's and dot the I's if you're looking to sell that. Yeah. And if it's bear or primate, I was shocked to find out that I didn't know primate fur was a problem. It is a bigger problem than I would have ever guessed in the US. And even worse, in international trade. Yeah. So knowing that, I bet you want to learn to identify furs. I do. <laughs> My first suggestion, I always write these things in a way that make me sound like an asshole. Check the label. <laughs> oh yeah, it's printed right here on the hang tag. Acme Fox. As they were usually like a handmade artisanal and or luxury product, a lot of these will be labeled with what they are. You got those designer labels. You got those union labels. Union labels, designer labels. Sometimes they will just say what the fur is made out of. 
unfortunately, a lot of artisanal furriers aren't known, aren't researchable, have been lost to time, and a fair number of them, especially the older back you go, didn't mark the animal because they kind of trusted you'd know. Back when people knew what animals were. This is mostly applicable to people who live adjacent to large cities. You could take it to a fur dealer or furrier for an appraisal. This usually costs about $20. That's not bad for fur. That might not be accessible because furriers and fur dealers are uh, few and far between. And if it's not labeled and you can't get to a furrier, you can make an educated guess by texture, color, and length. One of the first and most important things is texture. That'll tell you a lot about the animal. Sable and mink are extremely soft and shiny, almost have a shiny and wet look with flat, short hairs. Another thing about minks are that you might be familiar with seeing the coats that are sort of made out of what look like quilted stripes. That's because these are small, small pelts that are being pieced together. Raccoon and otter are nowhere near as soft as mink. They are coarse, about medium length, always sort of appear oily, and tend to be in dull grayish shades. Fox fur can be easy. I think fox fur is the longest pile of fur that you can get. It's very long, not all the way soft and not all the way coarse. Think golden retriever petting. I don't know that I want to think about that in the context of a fur coat, but okay, Corolla. Yeah, I, just, I, I made myself sad thinking about that, but like fox fur feels like dog fur. I wonder why. Are they related? Uh, <laughs> fox fur is classically, you know, orange, cinnamon, brown, but have been and continue to be farmed in a lot of shades, including black, white, silver, mosaic, and so on and so forth. There is easily the most common rabbit fur. Rabbit fur is very soft, very short, and velvety to the touch. And plentiful and easy to farm, because they breed, dare I say, like rabbits. <laughs> it's also not very dense, which is the number one way I will identify rabbit fur from something else soft like mink. Mink, it's very hard to get your fingers in between the strands to feel the pelt. Rabbit, it's pretty easy. Rabbit is most likely to be mistaken for vintage while it's contemporary. A lot of contemporary fashion pieces are made with rabbit fur. It comes in a variety of colors. Plentiful and easy to farm and not covered under any endangered species law. So yeah, contemporary pieces are going to use a lot of rabbit. Yeah. Because it's very easy to use. The one thing that sets it off is that they tend to be dyed. And I don't know, I'm an artist, so unfortunately I come with this as a huge blind spot. I feel like it's easy to tell when something's been dyed, even if it's dyed a natural color. I do wonder if anyone's looking at the Technicolor foxtails at the Ren Fair and wondering to themselves, where, where did they find those purple foxes? Well, they had to cross in a deviant art to hunt them there for sport. Oh... Uh... <laughs> Uh, the other thing about rabbit is that it's extremely expensive as a full garment. Because the one thing you might know about these animals is that they little. But yeah, rabbit fur. Super soft. Chinchilla is also extremely soft, but it's also dense. You will leave tracks if you run your fingers through it. I, okay. So you know how chinchillas give themselves dust baths because if their fur got wet, they'd get hypothermia and die because it's too dense to ever dry? Yep. I'm assuming that's also a problem with a chinchilla coat, right? Like you, the human, won't get hypothermia, but how the hell do you dry that thing out again? Yep, that's a known problem with chinchilla fur. Chinchilla is, I think, one of the most expensive next to a sable, which is a kind of mink. I'm assuming the difficulty of care plays into that. Yeah. The more specific the fur requirements on the living animal, the more specific the care requirements on your coat. Chinchilla is almost always presented in a variety of gray shades. And for telling faux fur from real fur, like I said, I feel like I'm almost preternaturally good at telling them apart. Faux fur is weirdly uniformly soft, where even a very soft natural animal fur has variations in coarse patches. It is uniformly long. There is usually no undercoat, although I have actually seen some really advanced faux furs that do under overcoat. The biggest thing is it won't be rooted to a skin or a pelt. It's going to be woven into a piece of knitwear somehow. 
If you're super not sure and you're having trouble feeling around to see if there's a pelt under there, you can burn it. I would do this in a store. (laughs) No? Why not? You think they'd mind? I think they'll mind, but if you're the one selling it, you can take just like a little pinch of a tuft and set fire to them. Real animal fur will singe. Faux fur will melt and sticky. And and sticky. It will melt and sticky. (laughs) It will melt and sticky because it's, you know what? Plastic. Because it's, uh, because, oh yeah, harsh truth here, it's plastic. And imagine what that's going to do in the environment. Not just when you discard it, but well before then as it sheds little tufts of plastic throughout its entire life. Yeah, I read a bunch of guides where they were weirdly evasively referring to it as smelling somewhat plasticky. Oh, I wonder why. Is it because it's fucking plastic? <laughs> yeah. And cooling to a plastic feeling ball. And it's like, that is because you are melting plastic. I don't know. My melted plastic smells and feels like plastic. Is that normal? It's <laughs> like plastic. It's strange. Now, these are some of the more common kinds of fur. Now, realistically, if it lived and had skin, it probably became a coat or a, an apparel at some point. Hey, I live and have skin. Well, you know. <laughs> Ken, Ken being the notable exception. Nobody's worn him as a hat just yet. Yet. I'm told leather top hats are all the rage, D. God. Special leather. Beaver is one that you'll run into a lot. People really liked beaver because it was waterproof, very warm, very dense, pretty easy to care for. Beaver is easy because beaver is a weird medium length and so ridiculously coarse that it almost actually feels plasticky. And yet it doesn't melt when you set it on fire. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel like plastic so much, but like it's so coated. It's got a wax to it. Yeah. Bear fur was surprising to me the first time I felt it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by the way, I do own a bear fur rug. Because you didn't grow up somewhere where, like, at least one family had a bear pelt on their wall at all times. Oh, yeah, no, I was a late adopter of the bear pelt. (laughs) (laughs) Oddly enough, I have touched bear grease, and that is probably the greasiest substance known to man. You think? Bear grease was a popular beauty tool for a long time. It was. You can learn all about it in our Gentleman's Guide to Dressing with Economy episodes. (laughs) Okay, thank you. I was like, surely we don't have a bear grease episode. Yet. I could always whip one up. (laughs) So one of the most common things that I hear from people about fur is that I need to get rid of it and I would like to have money in exchange. That's fairly common demands within the antiques industry. I have an object. And I would like to be rid of this object, and I would like to receive human currency in exchange. Yeah, my first bit of advice is going to be, temper your expectations. (laughs) Again, applicable across the industry. (laughs) Kaufman Furs, a leader in the industry, had the refreshing sentence, If you are thinking of buying fur coats as an investment, it would be one of the lamest decisions, if not the most. Damn. Furs are very much like cars. The monetary value depreciates half when you get it out the door, and anywhere from 18 to 25% each year they exist. This is sort of the natural conclusion of being an item that is biodegradable. Oh no, my make coat. I knew I never should have driven it off the lot. <laughs> There are weird people who think sable is a thing that's going to appreciate in value because a lot of designer fur has. The key word there is designer. Those labels have appreciated, not fur. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you've got an Hermes fur, you might have something there. But if it's just a local furrier from the 1900s, maybe not. So yeah, temper your expectations. I know that you look at the selling prices for a lot of these things new. You are not getting that. Because it's old. Because it's old. 
Yeah, fur exists in this really weird, like, liminal space for me where it's extremely, like, long-wearing. It lasts a super long time if you care for it, but it also has, like, a natural degradation that you will never outrun. Damn. Entropy strikes again. (laughs) Yeah. But I have seen and worn coats from the 1800s, and, you know, I've I've got a shirt that someone gave me from Shine that already fell apart, so, like, you know. You know. Don't take what I'm saying about degradation too seriously here. Again, like, the key is care. It'll degrade slower than H&M, that's for sure. (laughs) Much slower. And your acrylic fur coat won't wear longer, it'll fall apart faster, and destroy the environment as it does so. Yeah. I'm not fucking letting go of this because it's fucking plastic. It's a big thing that people are weirdly reluctant to talk about. And if you want to make an informed decision, that is one of the pieces of information you will have to consider. Hey, is the production of this plastic, as well as the inevitable rapid degradation of this plastic, and yet refusal to reintegrate with the environment it came from, going to be a problem, environmentally speaking? Or should I just suck it up and wear rabbit fur if I absolutely must have that fur look? On one of those articles about if it's ethical, someone actually, like, listed an Angora sweater, and I was like... Wait. I was... was weeping into my bald fists for a while because Angora rabbits have to be alive to get the fur off of them. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, okay. Do- it's a wool. It's a form of wool. Are these the same people <laughs> that think wool yarn, you have to kill a sheep to shear it? Yeah, yeah. Like, are these the animal rights activists who are like, it's cruel to shear the sheep. It's like, no, they're alive. And if you don't shear them, they get horrible wet matted fur that grows mold and kills them. Like, yeah. it needs to be clipped in order for them to live. They don't like the clipping process because they're very stupid herbivores and they don't understand what's happening to them. But ultimately, it's for the better. Kind of like how your child doesn't understand why they have to eat nasty tasting medicine, but it's important for them to survive. Yeah, the legwork for finding like an ethical farm that you're comfortable with for making wool or angora, it's a lot easier than you think. Yeah. Take that into consideration. Angora is a great way to get a fur look um, from an animal that can be quite well taken care of. <laughs> that is absolutely ethical to wear. And survive the process yeah to grow new fur to be shorn again and grow new fur and get shorn <laughs> again and over and over again the cycle continuing yeah so that's that's that was my oh honey moment while i was doing this and all of that fur shorn from those bunnies will be biodegradable I am gripping onto this concept like the fucking most determined ratting terrier in the 1880s fighting pit. (laughs) And that's why I left this part to Ken. So if you're still interested in selling your coat, you say, I know what I got. It's good. Next, you're going to have to assess the fur's condition. Really common issues include bald spots, seam tears, dry rot of the pelt, and moth holes. Ah, moths. The bane of our industry. There's a note down here that just says, moths, fuck moths, fucking moths, fuck. (laughs) All the people who work with animal pelts are like nodding. They know. They, you get it. All the people who work with clothing made from natural materials are nodding, frankly. You get it. You all get it. Other elements that you have to consider for market value. Is the coat made with a full pelt, tails, or paws? I actually have a mink paw coat. Check the quality of the fur, the sleeves, the clasps. Check it for matting. Matting is a problem on fur, alive or dead. Easily the biggest problem is going to be dry rot and tearing of the pelt. This is impossible to very difficult to repair and is going to have the biggest impact on the value of the coat. 
And a fun fact is that white and cream shades are the most valuable and hold their value longer and harder. Because they stain easily. If it's difficult to care for, it becomes a luxury good, and white is the most difficult color to keep its color. Which is why the Connecticut's wear white pants when they visit the antique shop. (laughs) It also says, I have a robust digestive system and I'm not worried about this. Kaufman Furs very helpfully has provided this statement. If you are expecting more than $500 selling a pre-owned fur coat made from biodegradable animal skins, which is five years or older, unfortunately, no one in the fur coat industry can help you. Oh no. (laughs) My retirement. Yeah, depending on quality, the exceptions to this are white or cream-colored mink and foxes. Mink and fox are highly valuable. Those colors are highly valuable. These are going to get the upper numbers. The value of a high-quality regular brown mink coat, 200 to 500 at the top. Foxes, 200 to 400. Rabbits, way less. The numbers fluctuate depending on how exotic the species is, but don't get too exotic, or I swear to God I will call sights on you, I take it very seriously. Fish and game, they do not play. They really don't. So, yeah, temporary expectations is the really big thing here. The average coat that you're going to have, it would be wonderful to get 200 for. And if someone wants it, that's even more wonderful. Furriers aren't the only people that will buy pre-owned vintage antique fur coats. You can also try selling it to costume companies, large drama setups. Or even just vintage clothiers. Vintage clothiers, um, an antique store, give them a call, see if they're accepting fur. A lot of people will not bother because of the repair that's required. Check the label. Is it designer? That's cool. You could get more for that. All right, you looked at it. It's kind of ratty. You don't think you're going to get any money for it. It's going to be a hassle to sell. What do you do now? Well, you can have it cut into a more fashionable shape or size for you, as fur coats tended to be made very, very long and very oversized, as they are primarily for warmth. You can sell or donate them to other craftspeople. If it's particularly sentimental, more than you're looking for value, you know, this was great grandma's coat, you can turn to craftspeople who will actually use the materials to turn them into wraps, pillows, bolsters, slippers, cat beds, cat beds, useful items that you're going to get use out of and keep the item around in another form. You can also donate them and contact your local homeless shelter. Fur is a great way to keep people warm over the winter. There's other initiatives if you are interested in returning the furs to whence they came, which might be an option for something exotic that you don't have the licensing to sell, is cuddle coats and coats for cubs. will collect old furs to warm and care for injured, baby, abandoned animals. Aww. The retailer Buffalo Exchange used to do this. They are not doing it, but their website has a list of wildlife rehabbers that are looking for fur donations. So those are some fun things you can do if it's not worth selling. Yeah. Now, do you have fur and you want to take care of it real good so that you can sell it? Yeah. No mothballs or cedar, it turns out. Whoa, wait, what? There's all my knowledge out the window. Fuck, what? (laughs) What do I do? Right, yeah. Wait, I can't have mothballs or no mothballs, no cedar. What defense do I have against the menace? Lavender sachets. Oh. Cedar is good, technically, but cedar pulls moisture out of the air and contributes to faster dry rot. Oh. If you can't afford having this in a furrier cold storage vault, which, you, you know, who can? Any dark, cool closet with lots of space that won't flatten the fur and covered in a cotton dust sheet with lavender sachets in the pockets to deter moths. That sounds adorable. The space to breathe is super important. Letting it breathe, you can't have it crammed up with other pieces because they'll wick the moisture away and mat the fur down. You need to give it some luxury space. Luxury accommodations for your luxury furs, if you will. Precisely. Oh, and the right kind of hanger. No, no wire, wire hangers. hangers. 
Ever? No more wire hangers. No plastic. You have to have a nice, broad, heavy wood hanger that will support the weight of the heavy item. This was the thing I was most surprised to find out about. One of those things that you're surprised and then it makes a lot of sense seconds later. Fur absorbs smell forever. Oh. And the smell will affect how people feel about buying it from you. So I shouldn't hang it in the closet over my cat's litter box? Yeah, precisely. Which is part of the no mothball rule because that coat will smell like mothball forever. Oh. In fact, they suggest smelling a fur if you are looking to buy a fine fur at a high price. Smelling it is an important way to determine if it was stored properly. I do also love the vision you will make of yourself in the store, just like gathering this beautiful fur up in your (laughs) arms, all bundled, and then just huffing it. Just huff that. Huff that fur. If you only walk away from this podcast with one lesson, it's that there's nothing I don't want you to bury your face into. I'm surprised you haven't suggested gnawing <laughs> on it yet. Don't, don't do that. Because that's usually where we go when it comes to determining natural from synthetic materials is put it between your teeth. See what happens. Absolutely not. No, we don't chew fur? We don't chew fur. Well... Color me surprised. Now, there's no getting around it. You have to have the fur professionally dry cleaned every other year. You can probably have it cleaned more frequently if you wear it a lot, but every other year is the standard for an infrequent use. Unless you know how to dry clean, I wouldn't recommend it. I cannot wait for the TikTok trend of at-home dry cleaning and the number of people it's going to kill with fumes alone. Yeah, yeah. Although actually a lot of the dry cleaning solutions for fur are environmentally safe. One more way, which is better than fucking plastic. The long and short of cleaning it is that they'll clean the lining by hand and then put the fur in a big drum with sawdust and cleaning solution. And it'll be tumbled and then very carefully vacuumed, steamed, and electrified so that the fur strands lift and separate. Oh my god, finally a fucking use for static electricity! Yeah, to uh, make your fur coat look uniform. Holy shit. Thanks, science. The final step is that they will re-oil the fur and condition the pelt. That's that on vintage and antique furs. And my final note is, hey, do you know what vegan fur is? It's plastic. Good night. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I hope that helped you make a decision about fur that you are dealing with. If you were interested in getting into vintage fur for fashion, or if you just wanted some kind of quiet permission to turn that vintage fur into a cat bed, yes, you should. Absolutely, yes. The cats are going to love it. It's going to be so soft and cozy. It's going to be very soft and very cozy. Very warm. Sources for today include valuemystuff.com. <laughs> just what it says on the tin. How to value vintage furs. Vintagefashionguild.org, fur resource, which, by the way, very excellent visual guide to a huge variety of furs. SammyDVintage.com, vintage style fur types. CollectorsWeekly.com article, should you feel guilty about wearing vintage fur? No. Yet. (laughs) (laughs) Kaufmanfurs.com, a variety of articles including do old fur coats have any value in 2021. Eversoscrumptious.com, selling grandma's vintage fur. Thespruce.com, how to care for natural fur coats. And TheGuardian.com, how to tell if faux fur is actually real. If you melt it, and it melts like plastic, and feels like plastic, it's probably plastic. (laughs) Yeah, if it's hot pink and not rabbit fur, that's plastic, baby. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at AntiquesFreaksPodcast at gmail.com. You can post on our Facebook group, AntiquesFreaksFriends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, AntiquesFreaks.tumblr.com, or you can check out our Instagram at Instagram.com slash AntiquesFreaks. If you liked hearing me yell at moths, 
consider scrolling on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leaving a review. Leave a review for the moths. Say, moths, get the hell out of my fucking house. The people in the podcast said so. Moths, get the hell out of my podcast. Get out of my podcast, moths. And if you would like to pick up vintage goods or t-shirts and stickers with podcast slogans on them, you can check out our Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks. Or if you need more Antiques Freaks in your week, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we read and review a chapter of Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood, a penny dreadful that is far more dreadful than penny. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.